Good morning. It's great to be here today. We, um, I like to come to this class regularly, every, what, two or three years, without fail. I'm here. It's been good to be with you again. Uh, we love Neighborhood. Uh, my wife, Carrie, she grew up here at Neighborhood Church, and um, this place has a real um, spot in her heart, and we love to be able to come here. We, when we visit our in-laws, we are able to attend, and um, we just enjoy Neighborhood Church. This is my family. Um, we have, who do we have here? We've got Megan on the end there, and we have Stephanie, my two daughters. Megan is a uh, nursing student at Biola University, and um, Stephanie is with us in Africa, in Kenya. Uh, then there's me and my wife, Carrie. Uh, like I say, she grew up here at Neighborhood, so many of you might know her. Um, we live in Africa. We live in uh, the country of Kenya. Um, we have been f- there for, it will be 17 years in January that we lived, that we moved, first moved over. Uh, we've been in mostly rural work. Um, our first seven years, we started a secondary school for national students. Um, we got that to a point where we felt it was ready to turn over to someone else to run. And then we moved on and we, um, uh, we moved to the very northern part of Kenya, almost up to the Ethiopian border, way out in the bush. Far, it was like a two-day drive to Nairobi, the, the capital city. And there we did very traditional missions work. We did evangelism and church planting, um, just spending time in the village, enjoying that life and, and um, sort of training some church leaders to, um, in some multiplicative uh, church planting techniques. So we're happy to see that, that uh, we, after about seven years there, we, we felt the Lord moving us to a different work. And so we, we left that to the guys that were there, and um, that work is continuing on. And about two years ago, we moved to the big city of Nairobi. Nairobi, Kenya is sort of the capital of East Africa. And that's been very different than our first um, many years in Kenya. It's been difficult in some ways. Um, uh, we're, we're in a metropolis. It's very big. There's, you know, our neighbors are no longer, you know, people living in huts, but they are these giant sky high-rises, and ah, it's crazy. But um, we do love it. Uh, my job is to be, I'm in leadership with uh, Africa Inland Mission. So uh, my job is to look after the, we have about 200 missionaries in Kenya and Tanzania. It's my job to sort of look after them, make sure they are safe and doing the work that God's called them to do, helping them look to the best strategies for them to use to be able to reach the people that have not uh, heard the gospel. Um, but one of the downsides of this is that our first like 15 years, we were able to have these stories that we come and tell. This is what God's doing through the work that we're up to. And now that I'm in leadership, it really changes things. So now instead of telling my own stories, I'm sort of have to tell other people's stories. But it's great to be able to see what God is doing and have a, a, a view instead of just what I'm doing right here on the ground to be able to stand a little bit higher and see what God is doing throughout East Africa. Um, one of these stories is there is a Kala, who is a Muslim woman, uh, woman I'm reading from uh, something that one of our missionaries sent us. Kala is a Muslim woman in town. Her younger brother came for a visit, and he had recently become a Christian. He talked with Kala about Jesus and pleaded with her to give her life to Christ. But Kala refused. One night, Kala had a dream, and she was visited by a man in white. And this guy said that she should read John 3.16. Well, Kala had no idea even what that meant. So she went back to sleep, and again, she had the same dream with a man telling her to read John 3.16. 
The next day, she didn't have a Bible. She didn't even know what John 3.16 was. So it was like completely foreign to her what that even meant. And then the next day, she woke up and told her brother about this dream. And he said, John 3.16, that's in the Bible. So he goes and gets his Bible. He reads what John 3.16 is to her, and Kala turns her life over to Christ. What a great thing. What, a, what a, an amazing work of God to have Jesus is calling people to himself. You know, oftentimes we hear about Islam in the news and we think, wow, there's, you know, there's just a struggle between Islam and Christianity. But I want to tell you that this story is not a single story that we had to pile, go through piles of information to find. These kinds of stories are happening throughout the world. In the Muslim, um, in the people of the Muslim faith are coming to, to Christ in many, many numbers. Here's two books, um, Miraculous Movements by Jerry Truesdale and A, a Wind in the House of Islam. By, um, by David Garrison, recount many, many different stories of, of not just people coming to faith, but whole movements of people coming to faith, where whole villages, whole mosques, whole groups of people are coming to Jesus. And it's happening out there. People might say, oh, is Islam growing faster? Is Christianity growing faster? Well, um, uh, it's not a competition for one thing. But I want you to know that there are people of the Islamic faith coming to Christ many people, but we need to get the word out there. So today I want to talk a little more about that, about um, uh, reaching out to Islams, and I want to talk about different questions people tend to ask me as a missionary in Africa. Where they, we're, we're inundated with questions along the way, so this is sort of the, the frequently asked questions page. Um, when people hear that we live in Kenya, they often ask, is it safe? You know, of course, right now the big, um, the big, Africa story is uh, Ebola, and even today I saw that um, Kenya has stopped any sort of air traffic coming from West Africa because of the Ebola scare. So they're saying, no, you guys just stay over there, we'll be, we'll be okay without you. Um, so uh, that is a real thing, terrorism is a real thing. The, the biggest uh, terror thing that happened in Kenya this last year was, I'm not sure if you heard about the news, a Westgate Mall attack, that was a pretty serious thing that was really made the international news. Um, that was a terrible, terrible day, or, or, or week, actually. Um, the siege took, uh, the, it happened when like four guys came over, uh, took over this mall. They started shooting people and throwing hand grenades, and just chaos ensued. And there were um, 67 people that died. And, uh, well, they think. That's the, the, the numbers that they've come up with. Um, over 130 people were injured. Um, it was terrible. The Kenya army came in and, and made matters worse, not better. Uh, the thing lasted for uh, four days, and it was awful. By the grace of God, um, in our own organization, we didn't have anybody at the mall. Um, but my, my daughter, Stephanie, she had two classmates that were shot and injured. And those two classmates lost parents that day, whose parents were shot and killed. And others that were, just went through horrific experiences as they were in the mall um, that day. So, um, yeah. Terrorism is out there. Other terrorist events, terrorist events have happened since then. Uh, they're usually grenades being thrown into a transportation hub, or oftentimes, sadly enough, uh, people throw grenades into churches. Um, it's been happening. Um, there's been you know, other kinds of killings along the way. And so people hear that, and they say, well, why do you stay there? Why are you staying? And that's, that's a good question. Um, but understand that when you hear these kinds of stories from here about over there, um, things are distorted, okay? These attacks are happening across the whole country. It's not just one little place. They're not all happening in our own front yard. Um, 
These are taking place over the whole thing. In fact, I even did some research. I said, well, since the Westgate Mall attack, what kind of things have happened here in the U.S.? And so I went and looked, and I found just in school shootings alone, since that time of the Westgate attack, 76 people have been shot. Um, in school, only school shootings. So, and, but, but we don't not, not send our kids to school, and we don't, you know, we don't live in fear. We're, you know, we're diligent and we're vigilant, but, um, but we don't, it doesn't stop our work. We don't stop our lives just because there are bad things going on. There's, it's not safe really anywhere in the world anymore, is it? Our security doesn't, doesn't um, rest in police and safe places to live. It, it really resides in Christ, who's chose to come and die for our sins and give us a chance at new life. And understanding, we understand that there may be things that happen to us that are terrible that are there for the, uh, the promotion of the gospel. And so we, we stand up and we say, if that is what needs to happen, then we are ready. Um, in our, um, you know, so we don't run from Kenya because things are dangerous, and we don't stay away from America because it's dangerous here too. But we, we just know that um, our security is in the Lord. Um, and the reason we're in Kenya is because there are people that haven't heard the gospel. There are people throughout the world that have never had a chance to hear the gospel even one time. Not even one time. You know, we think, it's easy to think that in this day and age that, well, everybody's heard some by, from some way. But if you're living in a heavily Islamic area or a, uh, in the middle of the bush somewhere in East Africa, they just haven't heard the gospel. So we're there to make sure that everyone has a chance to hear. In our own mission, um, African Inland Mission, we have a, a culture, a preferred culture that we want for our people. And it, it includes five things that we are willing to sacrifice for the Lord. We want to be people who are seeking Jesus in prayer with complete dependence on him. We want to be people of service, ready to serve not only the Lord, but also those we have been called to bring the gospel to. We want to be people who are not afraid of suffering, knowing that bringing the gospel to the least reached, uh, to people who don't want to hear it, may bring trouble upon ourselves. So we want to be people that are not afraid of suffering, and we want to be people of submission to biblical authority and to reverence in Jesus. Those are, that's the culture that we are promoting within our own mission, to make sure that we have those five um, qualities. So we don't run towards danger. We don't, we're not after, we're not like thrill seekers that are trying to get in the middle of a fray and, you know, go into the middle of some sort of crazy terrorist attack, but at the same time, we don't shy away, and we don't stay away just because things might be a little bit dangerous. Um, I want to tell you about a couple, um, Rachel and Amanda. A few months ago, they moved into a new house, and this is a house that another family had lived in before, another missionary family. Rachel and Amanda are Americans that are living in a Muslim village in uh, southern Tanzania, and there was this other family that had moved in there were on Rachel and Amanda's team. But shortly after they got there, they were hit by so much sickness. They had trouble from literally the day they left America. And they were dog with trouble. In just a few weeks, they said, you know what? We can't take it anymore. We've got to pull out. And that, that house sat vacant for about a year. And the, the team leaders for this, there's a small team that's um, promoting the gospel in southern Tanzania here. And... Um, the team leaders picked this one area because this was sort of the, the lair of the beast, and this is the heart of the uh, witchcraft and demonic activities goes on in this area of the town. And so they, they thought that this house was very strategic. So this team, after that family left, this team prayed for a year as to who would move into that house. Now, Amanda and Rachel, after that year, said, we want to move into that house. We are ready. 
and they're passionate about living there because they know that if they can bring the gospel to that little section of town, the gospel has a better chance of spreading to other parts of the town. Now, Amanda and Rachel, as soon as they arrived in that house, they got malaria. They recovered from that malaria, and Amanda, soon after that, re, um, recontracted the disease. And God, so I haven't heard in a couple of months, so I'm, and I've gotten some communication back and forth, so I'm assuming that Amanda has, has recovered from that. But if you think about it, can you pray for Rachel and Amanda um, who are willing to stand up and they're willing to suffer for the cause of Christ and to bring the gospel to this very heavily Islamic group? Another question that we're asked is, uh, what's your life like on mission field? And I can tell you it's a lot different now that we're living in the city um, than from when we're living in the bush. You know, when I was in the bush, I, you know, if something broke, I had to come up with a way to fix it. We had solar power and we had a well. So essentially we ran our own power and, you know, our power and lighting company and uh, water company. And so we just had to figure out a way to make things happen. Well, in Nairobi, we have all those things given to us, kind of. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit, there's an African flair to the power and there's an African flair to the water and a lot of tricks to it. But... Um, but we have, our life is much simpler that way, but the traffic is crazy. Poor Carrie does the shopping for our family, and she has to um, fight that Nairobi traffic all the time. And I tell you, that is, if you want to learn how to drive, learn to drive in Nairobi. If you can drive in Nairobi, you can probably drive anywhere on the planet, okay? Because it is chaos. And um, there, there are just, rules just aren't that important, okay? There, there are a few um, stoplights. They're becoming more prevalent. But the problem is you drive up to a stoplight and you just don't know, is this the hour that we're obeying the stoplight? Because there is this, this, this thing, you, there's this tension that you're living under because there's probably a cop not too far away. And so if you run the red light and the cop is there and it is the time, that is the hour to follow the, the stoplight, then he can pull you over. It happened to Carrie. She was able to talk her way out of a ticket, but, but so the cops are right there ready to pull you over. But then if you stop... And it's not time to stop at a red light. You have a lot of people behind you that are not stopping. And so then you have this risk of people barreling to the back of you. So it's, um, though there is, so traffic is nuts. Traffic is crazy. But um, so, and it's not easy. Carrie, um, you know, our, like I say, our, our neighbors used to be our friends, and now our neighbors are high rises. And so for Carrie to fit in and find the community that she used to have in our bush has been very difficult for her. You can keep her in your prayers. Um, our daughter, when we were in the bush, was homeschooled, and now she's switched to a, um, a school, an actual school in Nairobi with the American curriculum. And so it's been great for her. She did enjoy being homeschooled, but she thrives in the classroom and really loves that. So that is, uh, our life actually right now is, is very similar to what it is here in a lot of ways. I mean, we have, we have shopping centers that we can go to. Um, we risk our lives getting there. But... Um, but we, uh, there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. We have a similar diet to what we have here. There's a lot of shops. There's a lot of expats there. There's a lot of, you know, international community. But, um, but we're excited to be involved in what we're involved in because we're setting strategy to help the people that have not heard the gospel in East Africa to hear it. If you think about it, you can pray for us. Um, we constantly need to be brought before the Lord so we can continue to do his work. Um, if you'd like to get our prayer updates, feel free to send me an email, and we'll put you on our prayer list, and we send those out about once every month or so. Um, that will just help you to understand what we're doing 
And if you could pray for us, we would be uh, very appreciative. Um, missionaries have been in, in Kenya and Tanzania for over 100 years. So another question people ask us is, you know, really, do we, you know, why do we have, why do we have missionaries there? Do we need people there? And that's, a, that's another great question. People ask, isn't the, you know, the church, you started a church 100 years ago, aren't they doing the work they're supposed to do? And they are. Um, the book I showed you, these, these two books I showed you, are, are accounts of movements that are being led by national people. So there's great things going on by the national church. There's other places that the national church hasn't gone into, especially Muslim areas. That's one of the issues that we're doing. We're trying to educate the Muslim church, or I'm sorry, we're trying to educate the African church to reach out to their Muslim neighbors. You know, oftentimes um, there's a, an idea, well, they have their religion and we have our religion, so let's just, you know, coexist and try to get people to see that, no, no, someone brought you the truth one day and they are not living with the truth. So let's see, let's, let's bring them the truth. And there, there is a great movement of, of our African brothers that are, that are going out and reaching into Muslim areas. We're very excited about that. Um, our own organization wrote a, didn't write, they... Um, produced a movie called The Distant Boat. If you want to look that up, distantboat.com, you can get a copy of it. Um, it is a, we wanted to do a, a movie. We have a, a, a branch of our organization that does media, and we wanted to do something on to promote missions in Africa. And so as our media team started to think about that, they said, well, if we're going to um, try to to encourage Africans to reach out, the best way to do that would be to do it in a story form. So instead of doing a documentary, which they're quite comfortable doing, they decided to do a feature-length film. So The Distant Boat is a feature-length film about a guy named Sam. And uh, Max, sorry, not Sam. Who's Sam? I don't know who Sam is. It's about Max. <clears throat> Max is a guy that grew up in a, in a um, kind of in the rural area of, of Kenya, and his, his whole life, he and his buddy, were, they had plans to, to live the dream and to move to the big city, to get good jobs, to buy cars, get a wife, have a family, do many of the things that, that's what I found is my years overseas is that we really want the same things. No matter where, we want to be able to eat, we want to educate our children, we want to live in security and safety. Um, and that was Max doing. He was following the, the Kenyan dream, Okay. Well, then, then Max, as he's going along, he all of a sudden finds himself in this very difficult situation. He's attacked and he's mugged. And when he comes to, he realizes that he is in the middle of this Muslim fishing village on the coast of Kenya, and he's being brought back to health by this Muslim family. And so as he's talking to these guys, and these people show him real compassion and kindness, Max starts talking about church and the Bible and belief and, hey, where's the local church? He's like, there's no local church here. What are you talking about? And so Max finds that this group of people have no gospel representation at all. And so the movie is about Max and his struggle with what does that mean? And does the solution to that problem maybe fall with Max? And so it's his journey to see how the Lord needs to spread the gospel throughout. And so that um, has been a great movie. It's been used in many different ways. There's, there's documentation that goes along with it, and we're really excited about what that's doing in the African church. Um, so, but it's a great movie. It's, um, if you want to look at it, it's, um, it's very entertaining. Um, another question people ask is, hasn't everyone heard the gospel by now? 
you know, there's technology everywhere. There's what's going on. How come people haven't heard? And it's true that people haven't heard. Because if you grow up in an Islamic area, you're not going to hear the gospel. How many of you know much about Islam? Not, yeah, a few of you. But not many. And, and it, you had to work to do it. Because your community doesn't tell you about Islam. So for us to, for people to hear the gospel, people need to go. Um, we are, as African Mission, we are looking at groups of people that are called unreached people groups. People groups, different ethnicities that do not have more than 2% evangelical believers. And if they have under 2% evangelical believers, we want to make sure we have someone going there to, to bring the gospel. And that would be whether it's, it's an um, African national or whether it's an expatriated missionary. We want to make sure that that the gospel is going out to the people, these people groups that do not have any representation. We feel that, that their studies show that once there's about a 2% representation of the gospel and there's been 2% evangelicals in a community, that that little small church can actually continue to grow and sustain itself. So that's what, those are the sort of the numbers that we look at. And as we're looking at where we're going to send the next group of people, we want to make sure we're sending to the people that have yet to hear the gospel. Um, There's this antagonism between Islam and Christianity. We see it, you know, played out on the news every single day. It's, um, it's no surprise. But um, also people ask me, why is it important to reach out to the Muslim unreached people groups? Why is it important to go to take Christianity to these people of Islam? Maybe your idea is the same as that, that we're experiencing in Africa, that they have their own religion. Let's just let them go. Let's, you know, they don't want us. Let's, let's just let them go. Well, I have, um, I want to read for you um, from the book of Revelation. Um, chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, it says, After this, this is, this is John and his um, seeing what's going on in heaven. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will be there worshiping the land, the Lamb. Every people group will be represented in heaven, yet there are people who haven't heard the gospel. You know, oftentimes we're, we want, man, I wish the Lord would come. Well, the Lord can't come until there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, and language that are saved, that will be worshiping God at the throne. They've never had a chance to hear the good news in an appropriate, effective way. They've, um, they've never heard of what, what it is to have a relationship with God through, by grace through faith. Most of the people that have, that have not heard the gospel think that they can only appeal to God by their good works. Only if I've done enough right and someday the scales will be brought out and the good they've done will be weighed against the bad they've done. And as long as the scales are tipped just the right way, they'll be okay. But there's no assurance, no knowledge, no, no understanding, no, no comfort of faith in Christ Jesus. But there's always this fear that they haven't done it and they're not going to make it. Here's a story from one of our missionaries um, in northern Kenya. Um, Sam is a young man from a traditional uh, Barana family. So Barana is the people group. 
His family worships the power from the domain of darkness. He bought a used cell phone from a Christian. Now, inside that cell phone, there was a memory card, and all the music was still on the phone. The, phone, the, uh, the music was Christian music, and he listened to the music, and it was the first time he had heard the name of Jesus. All the songs were telling him that his name is to be praised and worshiped above all others, that Jesus alone deserves our worship and adoration. He continued to listen and to re-listen to these songs. And about a week later, he was out watching his goats, and a vision happened. A man appeared to him, looking at him, and he wondered who this was. He'd never seen this guy before. He was very, very afraid. Went home that night, goes to sleep, laying in bed. He has a dream, and the same man that appeared to him in the vision earlier in the day appeared in his dream. And Sam asked him, who are you? I am Jesus, he answered. You must believe and follow me. Sam did right then. <laughs> he was a believer. Um, the dream continued, and then he saw a crowd of people, and his family and his other relatives saw him approach. They all turned, and they asked him why he was coming down to them, because we know that you're not one of us anymore. You follow that other power. Sam, through a phone, heard the gospel and turned to faith. Now, he's the first one of his family to believe, and the evil one does not want the others in his family. So if you can think about it, pray for Sam, that he would be a light in his own family, that he would be the one that brings the gospel to his whole family, and to the, so it spreads out, and it, it just um, multiplies throughout the area. You see, Jesus is in the business of calling people to himself. You know, after God split people um, into different language groups at the Tower of Babel, Deuteronomy 32.8, says um, that he ordained the nations and he gave each their own portion. And throughout the Bible, God desires for people to come to a knowledge of him. First, it was through um, the, Jewish, the Jewish, Jewish nation, and now in the New Testament, we are given Jesus. You know, five times in the book of Revelation, it is clear that God's redemptive plan is for every nation, tribe, people, and language on earth to come to faith. He says there will be people from every single people group worshiping at his throne. But it's not only recorded by John in the book of Revelation. There's a little prayer here in the book of John. This is um, probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture, John 17. It's, it's Jesus as he's praying before he's led to the cross. And this is an incredible prayer because he's praying for us. And it's rather exciting to read this, this, this prayer and know that this is what Jesus was praying before he died. This is just a, a portion of his prayer. This is um, John 17, 21 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. He was just praying for the apostles that he has lived with for the last three years. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have uh, made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have 
uh, for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. That's Jesus. It's interesting as we as we sort of look at those 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 passages of scripture, the Revelation passage and the John passage. In Revelation, um, uh, the the Greek word translated tribe, tongue, people, and nation is ethne, and we obviously get the word ethnic from that. And it's talking about the different groups of people out there. So that's what he, that's what we get the idea that every single people group on earth will be represented at the throne of God. But the passage in John where Jesus is praying, he uses the word that is translated world there is a Greek word cosmos, where we get the word cosmos. Very good. Um, So when Jesus is talking about that is speaking of um, every single person on earth. When that word is used, it means Jesus wants every single person on earth to hear the good news. He wants not one person to not hear the gospel. Every single person. That's why we need to reach out to everyone, no matter what religious system or belief system they have. We need to make sure that they hear the gospel. Now, another question I've um, asked is we look to that, that most of the unreached people groups in the world are either Muslim or nominally Muslim. There are some exceptions, but by, by and large, probably 95% of the unreached people groups are Muslim people groups. And people will also have asked me, he says, you know, in Matthew 10, Jesus told his disciples, you know, if they don't accept your word, kick the dust, of the dust off of your feet and move on. And people have asked me, why are we still reaching out to Muslims when they, they have not shown the desire to hear the gospel? That's kind of interesting. And when I was in college, I did some, I, did, I went with an organization that did door-to-door evangelism. And... Um, and we would do that, okay? We would go, and we had this little survey. We'd blah, blah, blah. And we would try to speak to them about the Lord, right? Well, when people were, would just kind of close the door on our face and would not be at all, we'd walk, we'd walk to the end of the driveway, and we'd go a little, little bit of this section, and then we'd go on to the next house, just to sort of, a, you know, kick the dust off their feet. You know, they, they didn't want it, so we'll go see if we can find um, some of the fields that are white for harvest. Um, so people ask if that's, you know, if, you, if we look at Islam, you know, for the most part, they don't want Christianity, so I think we can agree with that. But, um, but we can't project that into world religions. That's not right. Because we still need to bring the gospel to those that haven't heard. Just because the, 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 the imams and the people that are leading Islam don't want Christianity does not mean that the local Muslim doesn't want a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus told his people that, I feel, as I look at that passage of Scripture, um, that was a, a very specific thing. Jesus was sending these guys out for just a few days, um, and he, they were going to come back and report. You know, he said, go, go, spread the word that the kingdom of God is near, come back and let me know what happened. And he said, now, if they don't accept your word, kick the dust off your feet and move on. Because it was a very short period of time, and it was a very short little short-term missions trip. And so he wanted them to only talk to the people that were ready to hear, that wanted to hear, and come back and report back to him. Now, there are times when we're, you know, that we can stop witnessing to a person because maybe they just have closed off. You're like, okay, we're going to spend my time talking to other people about the faith. But we don't do that to whole people groups, and we don't do that to whole world religions because some of them are saying no. 
So I think that Jesus, it was just out of expediency. They're going to be gone for a few days. So he wants them to only spend time talking to the people that are ready to hear. And Jesus also told the disciples in Matthew 5 that blessed are you when people insult you and they persecute you and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So he's telling them, it's not only are you going to be persecuted, you'll be blessed when you're persecuted. So Jesus did not say, you know, avoid anybody that doesn't want what we're giving because we need to, we expect that you're going to be persecuted. And finally, Paul was a great example of this. In 10 years, Paul was able to evangelize most of the Roman world. In fact, there was like one province of Rome that Paul didn't get to with the gospel. And it's fascinating to do a study on looking at Paul's life. And Paul was definitely not well accepted along the way. Paul was beaten and he was chased off and he was stoned and he, was, he, was, he had to leave in the middle of the night just to save his own life. So the example of Paul shows us that just because some people are resistant doesn't mean we stop preaching, especially to a whole people group or to a whole um, world religion. We need to continue on. Often people ask uh, how Muslims are being reached, and I can tell you that they're being reached in spectacular ways. It's amazing what's going on. And what we're, what, what we're trying to do is see if we can launch different, different people group movements, different movements of faith, so that whole regions will come to faith or whole groups will come to faith, and that helps solve the problem of uh, people being ostracized from their family. When we have a whole group of people come to faith, then suddenly you're not just chased out from your family and you're not you know, ostracized from the community. So that's really what we're really, we're, the methodology that's being used today are to do it so we set off people group movements. To, so there's a whole movements of faith and not just one, one, one. Though we are always trying to reach every single person that we meet. Um, you know, oftentimes we read the Bible and you see all these crazy miracles going on. And we say, why don't we see things like, you know, look at the Red Sea and you see Jesus healing people all over the place. And I want to tell you that in, the people that are reaching out to Muslims are seeing these kind of things happen. I want to tell you about a story. Um, my friend Raj, he's been reaching out to this one people group for 30 years. Raj comes from a very conservative um, line of evangelicals. Um, he is not what you would, you know, he's, he's not sort of on the, if you look at the very conservative, very charismatic scale, he's really over here in his tradition. Um, but Raj has gone through a real um, thought process, a real, over these last 30 years, Raj has always said, what can we do differently? It's not, this is not working. What can we do differently? What can we do differently? Well, Raj was walking along one day. He lives in a rural part of eastern Kenya, and um, he was going by his friend Dabu's house, and he sees Dabu's wife, and he says, hey, where's Dabu? And he says, oh, Dabu's inside. Well, during that time of the day, it's, un, it's unusual for someone to be inside the house because it's so hot. So um, he goes and says, oh, let me go see Dabu. So he goes in and sees Dabu. Dabu is sitting there. And he is sitting on his goat skin, and he is sweating, and his face is disfigured. And Raj asks, what, Dabu, what's happened to you? And he says, oh, I got a bad tooth. My tooth is killing me. And so uh, Raj says, hey, let me take a look at that. And Dabu had tried all kinds of traditional medicines. He had gone to the dispensary. Nothing he could do seems to work. And he's sitting there writhing in pain. So Raj takes a look, and he looks in and sees that this guy's tooth is actually broken in half. And this guy is in severe pain. And so Raj began praying. Now, the one thing about being in an African hut is you can spend a lot of time and say nothing, and it's, ever, it's totally okay. Just hanging out. So Raj spends a significant time praying. Lord, what do I do here? What am I supposed to do? What is my response here? So finally, Raj says, 
Dabu, I know someone who can heal you. Who? It's Jesus the Messiah, the one you've heard so much about and you have rejected. If you want me to pray to ask Jesus to heal you, then I will. So another period of silence goes by, and Raj can tell there was a battle going on inside for Dabu because Dabu had been, had been one of Raj's most vocal um, detractors for years. And he led a whole uprising against Raj to try to get him thrown out of town. So Dabu had been against Roger. They had had some sort of reconciliation recently. But still, Dabu has a real history, and he had heard the gospel, and, and he knows what Raj is talking about. So after quite a while, um, Dabu says, okay, you can pray. This is what Raj wrote about it. I wanted to make it very clear, so I restated, the one who's going to heal you is Jesus Christ, not just God in general, as a Muslim would think. This Jesus came from heaven to earth, not only to heal the sick, but to pay the punishment for your sin by his death and resurrection. Do you understand it? It is Jesus that will heal you. Dabu confirmed that, that he understood. And Raj got up from his, from his stool and he went over and he placed his hand on Dabu's very swollen cheek and he began to pray. He recalled various scriptures and he prayed them out loud to strengthen his own faith and Dabu's faith. Went through the Bible and prayed different scriptures um, that day. And then uh, here's, here's again Roger's, uh, Roger's words. Jesus, you came, you gave us authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. You said, as you go, preach the message. The kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those that have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Right, said he asked Jesus to show his love and mercy to Dabu so he would know the gospel message is true. After his prayer, Raj said, In the name and authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command Dabu's pain to cease and his infection to be well. And then he waited for a few minutes, and he sat back down. That was probably an awkward moment, right? Okay, that you're really, now talking about stepping out in faith, right? So now he sits back down, and there's this sort of awkward time. So finally he says, okay, Dabu, how are you feeling? So Dabu says, and Dabu was healed. And then Raj looked at him, and he said, Dabu, wait a minute. And in a span of about 10 or 15 seconds, Raj watched uh, Dabu's face go back to normal. This very swollen face go back to normal. Hallelujah, right, exactly. Thank you for clapping, right? Praise the Lord. What a great thing. Jesus, and so, so Raj and, and Dabu, they just start laughing because of the miracle they had just experienced. And they were so happy, and it was so great. And this is what we're hoping to happen, that God would do great miracles, and this would spawn movements of faith. Now, I have to tell you that that, that happened a few months ago, and, and Dabu still has not come to faith. Raj said that Dabu has just chosen. He knows the truth, but he has chosen the lie over the truth. So pray. Pray for this group of people that um, they would come to faith, and we would see many people from this people group come to Jesus. Now, another question people have is, how can we witness to Muslims? How, is it, how do you witness to a Muslim? Maybe you know Muslims at work and uh, people of Islamic faith. And how do you do it? The way to do it is just start talking to them. Recently was the month of Ramadan. Say, hey, I just heard about that you had Ramadan recently. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is, what is this Ramadan? Engage them. Don't be afraid. Talk to them about their faith. The one thing that Muslims don't have is assurance of salvation. A friend of mine um, who works down in very, very southern Tanzania, 
uh, he, was, he was about to go on furlough, um, and um, his friend came up to him, and his Muslim friend, he goes, he goes, Smith, I tell you, one day you're going to be a Muslim. And he just, he goes, why? Why? When I have the assurance of salvation, I have the free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ my Lord, why would I ever trade that for a life where I'm never sure I'm having to, to, to judge every act I do to see whether it's good or bad and to, to go before my Lord with an unsureness of what's, what my eternal future is going to be like? Why would I do that? That can't happen. I'll never, I'll never turn from the faith in Jesus because there's no point. There's hope. There's darkness. Who am I going to choose? So if you want to engage people about faith, talk to them. There's also, get online. If you don't know about Islam and you have some Muslim friends, get online. Start looking up things. Read books about it. There's so much out there to help you to be able to reach out to your Muslim friends. These are people that, that don't know. You have the assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ, and they don't know what their eternal... Um, eternal future looks like. But the most important thing we can do is pray. Pray, pray, pray. Whether it's um, for the nations, maybe you don't know any Muslims, and you say, oh, God, what can I do? You can still pray. Get a hold of me if you want to know more about prayer. I'd be happy to write to you about um, different ways you can pray. One thing that I've done recently is that um, I hope that you have a time where you spend with the Lord every day, that you... Um, read your Bible, pray, spend time with him. Um, the way my quiet time would look generally is I would spend a lot of time reading and then a little time praying. And then I would say, oh, I really got to go in, so I better go. And then a little tiny bit of time prayer, lots of Bible reading. And so I decided to kind of switch that around a little bit and to spend more time praying. And not, I mean, not that, it, I mean, biblical illiteracy is high right now and it's terrible. We want people to read the Bible. But if you want to know God, spend time praying. Spend time with Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if you follow, um, like, celebrities. There's a guy, Brad Pitt, right? Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, okay. Um, now, maybe you're a kind of person that likes to read People Magazine and Us Magazine and all these different magazines. And you might read everything there is to know about Brad Pitt. Everything, everything, everything. So you know who he's married to and his kids and his what and his birthplace and who knows what. Because you know all about Brad Pitt. Well, if you ever met Brad Pitt, would he know you? No, he would know who you are because you've only read about him. And I'm afraid that sometimes we as believers, we spend time reading about God, which is great. And especially if you're reading the Bible, fantastic. If you're just reading devotionals, be wary of that. That's the wisdom of man, not the wisdom of God, okay? It's great. They're great. They lead us to the Lord. But be sure that you are spending time in God's word. But, but pray, 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 pray. I have found that um, this, recently as we've kind of struggled through some different decisions and things, that, that this new found prayer life I've had has been so great because now I'm, I'm walking through a decision process with a friend of mine. And, and when I came back, when I came back um, to America this in, in May, um, it generally happens when we come back on home assignment, unfortunately, my quiet time is usually the last thing to catch up to me. I leave it in Kenya for some reason. It takes a while to get here. Um, so, but, but so it had been like a month since I really had sat down and had some time to really read, open my Bible and really have a time of prayer. And I tell you, what a great day that was because it was so refreshing. It was, it was like a deer that pants for living water, so my soul panders after you. 
I'm experiencing that with my life because I have a friend named Jesus. And not a guy that I know just a whole bunch about because I've read a bunch of Bible verses, but a guy that I spend time with and I talk to every day. So pray. And one last story. Um, uh, there was a, a, few Christian, uh, a few Kenyan men. This is what one of our, my missionaries wrote this to me. A few uh, Christian Kenyan men traveled to a village in southern Ethiopia. They went out uh, to, from hut to hut talking to people about Jesus and invited them to watch the Jesus film that night. Well, at dusk, the, the guys, they came, they set everything up, they tested everything, everything was working great, it was really good. Whole village comes out. Everybody's excited. They flip on the Jesus movie. Nothing works. So, nothing, so the whole thing, nothing's working. They can't figure it out. They go home to where they were staying that night, and they looked at it, they tested it out, and the thing worked fine. They couldn't figure it out. So they had told the people, come tomorrow. So, um, so then... They go to the house they were staying at, and the lady said, oh, yeah, you know what? There is a witch doctor here that is so powerful. If you're, if you're not praying and if your prayer life is not in check before you go and do this, you will never show that movie. So the next day, they all get together, and they prayed, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and then they went out, and they got everybody came out together, and they all prayed again, and then they showed the Jesus movie. It worked, and a man came to faith that night. You see, um, the battle... For people's souls is fought on a different level. The evil one does not want Jesus to reap a harvest. He wants company with him in hell. The one thing that each of you can do for world evangelization is pray. And the one thing you can do for your own personal life and, and relationship with God is pray. Spend time with the Father. Truly, I have lots of resources that will help you pray. If you want to have a longer prayer life, um, spend more time in prayer, write to me. I have lots of tools, lots of things that can help you out. Okay? Thank you very much, uh, Randy.